The Dental Practice Fixers podcast is brought to you by the Maddow Center for Dental Practice Success. To find out how we can help increase the success of your practice, check out maddow.com or call us at 1-800-258-0060. There's something that most dentists never do throughout their entire career, but our special guest on the Dental Practice Fixers podcast today has done this, maybe for a weird reason, so we're going to find out, and I think he found it to be incredibly valuable. So, you're going to learn what that is in just a few minutes. For now, welcome to the next edition of the Dental Practice Fixers podcast. I'm your host today, Dr. Richard Maddow. We've got a really special co-host who's in a unique situation that I think you will love to learn about, and you're going to meet him in just a second. But before we bring him on, I just want to say if you're a regular listener to the Dental Practice Fixers podcast, you know the, the Matto Center. We love fat merchant for our credit card processing because they don't charge an overage percentage. You can forget getting slammed with this percentage on every transaction. They just charge a low monthly fee. And if you don't believe me, which I know people are skeptical, Go look at their Google reviews. They have unbelievable reviews on Google, not just from dental practices, but different businesses all over the U.S. So once you do that, I know you'll switch to Fat Merchant in your office. Just go to matto.com slash save. That's M-A-D-O-W dot com slash S-A-V-E. You can learn a little bit more and see how seamless it is to transition to Fat Merchant for your credit card processing. Okay. I warned you, we have a very special guest today, and he is a dentist, but he's a very recent graduate, um, just graduated the University of Maryland Dental School in the spring, and I want to welcome to the Matter Brothers podcast, Dr. Ben Scher. How's it going there, Ben? Hey, Dr. Rich, how are we doing today? It's, a, it's an honor to be here, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you. Well, hey, thanks for volunteering to be a guest. You're in a really different, unique situation. We're going to learn a lot a bit about that, but it's not just you. It's pretty much every member of the class of 2020. Really weird. Um, when was the actual date where you were, you weren't even handed your diploma, but where through some Zoom meeting, whatever, you got virtually handed your diploma? When did that happen? Because I'll say right now as we're recording this, um, it's the end of August 2020. Yeah, so I think the exact date of graduation was probably May 15th. I don't think I actually got my diploma in the mail until late June, early July. Uh, a lot of crazy stuff in between all those time frames, but you know, the, everything has been so fluid. It's tough to kind of pinpoint an exact timeline that this is when you finished and, and graduated. You know, I just read, and I think you told me this actually earlier, that because of all the craziness that happened with your class, the COVID class, as they say, and we'll get to that in a minute, um, a lot of people are talking about phasing out actually treating a live patient on the boards. Is that true, that it's going to be strictly mannequins sometime in the future? Yes, that that is absolutely correct. It's something that you were hearing through the pipelines all throughout dental school, and, and I'm sure most of your listeners may know, the only professional groups these days that have their boards exam on live patients is dentists 
and and hairdressers. I don't have any hair. I don't have any hair, so that that's a that's a fun that's a fun fact for me to say. But no different than COVID kind of accelerating things already in the works. What was planned, I believe, for the next few years just got expedited even further for a lot of the schools that did not have patient boards in time before the lockdowns happened. I mean, when you think about it, the whole thing's crazy. You spend four years getting an unbelievable education and you're ready to get out there and practice. And then you've got to find some schmo that needs a class two restoration. And if they wake up that day and feel like doing something else, you're screwed. What a system. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> You're preaching to the choir. A lot of my class, if not most of the students, past, present, and future are are kind of against the system. It, it seems a bit crooked to have to pay someone to come in and find these these quote unquote boards lesions that any competent dentist would would at least say we should probably watch that. But something that you probably wouldn't drill on in private practice suddenly becomes the ideal thing because the last thing you want to do on the day of the exam that determines whether you're able to practice is to ask for a modification and have caries even deeper than the standard uh, measurements. And and it becomes uh, a whole mess of, of fighting for these lesions and paying off patients. It's it's a mess. So So I could not be happier for the future classes that it's going to be on a mannequin. Yeah, there, I was actually a board patient for my brother, Dr. Marshall Maddow. I had a teensy tiny class two that I think he actually drew in there with a pencil and um, <laughs> did a gold foil on me, which ugh, gold foil, that, the whole thing was yucky. So, all right, so a few, just a few months ago, you were a DDS, but the other kind, you were a dumb dental student, as we all were when we were in dental school. And now all of a sudden you're the other kind of DDS, a doctor of dental surgery. Um, you went to University of Maryland Dental School, as I did, as both of my brothers did. Uh, and you graduated at a really strange time in history. Uh, are there like challenges or struggles or strange things about being in the first era of the COVID dentist? What's it like and what are some of your classmates going through? Sure. Yeah. And, and great question. One thing that I think it's important to point out is that when the lockdowns happened, for the most part, the talented and smart students, and, and it feels weird saying that because I, I was part of that group, they, <laughs> no, no, they should have finished their requirements. So it was late enough in the year that for the most part, you should have been done your crowns, your endo, your, your dentures. So I, I do want to bring that up firsthand for any of the dentists that are out there hiring and they're maybe taking a bigger look at the class of 2020 because the people that were more on the ball, they finished everything by that point. As for the others in the class, whether it was uh, on their doing or because they didn't have the proper patient base. It could be for a myriad of reasons. They had to go back to school and quote unquote finish their requirements. But of course, at that point in time, everything was so unknown that a lot of those requirements that would otherwise be on patients ended up being again on plastic teeth. So that is uh, an interesting caveat right there is 
a good percentage of the class should have finished everything on patience. And then uh, another percentage actually had to do it on plastic teeth. So there is going to be that divide when you are looking at the class of who was able to do, you know, X amount of crowns on patients and who is coming out with significantly less experience. So all in all, uh, I will say for the class, for my class, it's not too bad. It, it really is the D3s and the D4s that are currently in school. And from the people that I talk to, they, they really are not seeing the level of patience that they would otherwise at this point. And, and going forward, even though we are, quote unquote, the first COVID class, it, it is the future classes that I would be concerned about. And I'm happy to go into a little bit more detail about some of my classmates currently and how they're doing as well. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. So it sounds like from what you're saying, you were, pretty, you were finished all your actual patient requirements by March, but classmates who weren't really, in a way, didn't finish dental school because they, they didn't do the amount of crowns or dentures or endos, whatever, on live patients. Wow. And now the, the current D4s and D3s, what is it like for them? Yeah, so with the patients, excuse me, my, my classmates that quote unquote did not finish the requirements, you know, they will forever have that plausible deniability that had the circumstances been normal, that they would have finished the requirements. You know, I was a D3, and in the months of April and May, that's when the faculty starts to take all of the D3's crowns and gives them to the struggling D4's. Mm -hmm. Same thing with endo, same thing with dentures. So even though there are many students that didn't finish, they could absolutely be sitting here today and say, you know, I would have finished. This was planned. This patient was ready to come in. I had this student coming in to give me his crowns and I would in turn give him operative. So they do have that forever in the back of their heads that, you know, I could have finished. As for the, the younger classes, you have to see significantly less patients. They are socially distanced in the clinic. The D3s that would otherwise be working people up and, and getting more experience, a lot of them, if not most, haven't even seen a patient yet, haven't done a profi. So it's, it's only going to compound as time goes further because, you know, first you need to get inside the mouth and start probing around and getting comfortable with your hands and how you're positioning and how you're talking to the patient. And then you get into the cleanings and then you get into the fillings. And it's a whole process that is either curtailed completely for the time being or may just be shortened for the rest of time going forward. Wow, crazy. Well, let's hear a little bit about, a little bit about <laughs> your classmates. So you were very lucky that um, you met a great dentist in Washington, D.C. with a very successful practice who actually did a, um, a, a charity trip, a mission trip to South America or Central America and met this dentist. You were telling me the story um, and you guys really hit it off and you knew that you had this job waiting for you. So you're in a percentage where you had a private practice job waiting and then other people do GPRs and AGDs, of course, or AEGDs, as they're called these days. Some people specialize. Uh, I know some people, remembering back from my day, were kind of in limbo. They still weren't sure what they were going to do when graduation came around. What's going on with your class? Have you heard some stories? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that, that's been really cool to see is 
if you told me how everyone would be doing at this point in time, in maybe the end of March, early April, I, I would not have believed you. You know, I, I was going down the rabbit holes of, you know, seeing these charts that show dentists and hygienists in the top right corner in terms of close to the mouth and most dangerous. I was reading about aerosols and, and the handpiece and, and how, you know, this is just not going to be a sustainable thing for dentists going forward. And here I am sitting like, this is, this is what I'm graduating into. This is crazy. And, and here we are five months later, and it's, it's been phenomenal to see how dentists have been doing. And in terms of my class, it, it covers a wide array of how people are doing. Some of the students that were crushing it in dental school are now out in private practice, and, and it's like things have never changed. They are selling treatment. They are doing what's best for the patients. They're growing a patient base. And that is not surprising to see at all. It's also important to note a bit of a selection bias as, as I tell, you know, a few more stories of different classmates is in that, you know, I'm not keeping in touch with some people that maybe I don't think are going to be doing too well in, in private practice or in dentistry going forward. I think I look at COVID as the quote unquote great accelerator. You know, Amazon was dominating before the pandemic working from home was on the rise before the pandemic and the government was printing money long before the virus ever left the, the Wuhan region. And in the same manner, there are students that I didn't think were particularly good in dental school. They couldn't keep a continuous patient base. They weren't into the treatment. They weren't coming prepared when they did have treatment. And I don't think that that is going to change going forward. Uh, there are some people in residencies, and residencies, of course, there are some good ones and some bad ones. Uh, some of my friends are in residencies, and they say there are a lot of days that they end up just doing profies and SCRP. There's others that, because of strict rules in the hospital, are seeing half as many patients as they would have the year before, and it's only emergencies almost to the point where they say, you know what, this is not what I signed up for. And one is actually in the process of leaving a top flight residency out West to come back East. And, and what's been cool to hear from that, and, and you can make the case one way or the other, whether he should or should not leave the residency, but he's getting a lot of bites from high-end practices offering great hours to come in and work for them. In, in terms of the contracts that I've been seeing from my classmates, a lot of them are purely based off of collection as no per diem. But again, the people that I talk to are, are hustlers and they say, you know what? I trust myself to be able to grow a patient base. And if I don't get a lot of money up front, that's fine because I believe in myself so much to be able to grow from there. So it, it does seem like the people that were good and talented are, are doing well. And um, it, it is encouraging to see. And I'll close off that, that kind of long-winded rant just to say uh, in when the class of 2008 graduated college right into the, the Great Recession, 
people didn't really know how they would fare until years later. And when you look at the statistics in terms of home ownership and medium income, that age group is doing significantly worse than the years before and the years after. Even though our class is doing better than I had expected right now, I don't think the story of our class is going to be written until five, 10 years down the road. But at least from what I'm seeing right now, I am optimistic on how things are going to go. Well, really interesting stuff. But sadly, it sounds like the class of 2021 and 2022 might be like the new version of the class of 2008. Let's hope not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really could be. I certainly have my opinions on how they could kind of front run the rest of their class to try to be as uh, enviable of an applicant and future associate as as possible. And uh, we don't necessarily have to go down that route. But, you know, there are there are opportunities to kind of deviate away from the school system and and try and learn as much as possible. And, and, and I do hope for the best for them. But you're right. I, I am a little concerned. Yeah, same. I will. So, again, I, I teased at the beginning that you're in an unusual situation. And because of that, you've done something and learned some things that most dentists never, ever get to do. And I'll say you were, as I mentioned before, you were really lucky that before the S hit the fan, you had a great position lined up with a really nice practice in D.C. And here you are. You graduate in the COVID class, so to speak, um, taking your boards, waiting for your licensure. And while you're waiting for that to come through, um, you've been working at the front desk at your practice, which I got to say is something most dentists have never done. Now, as a coach and consultant, you know, Dave and I have sat in so many hundreds of offices sitting at the front desk, kind of, you know, snooping around listening. But most dentists never really do it because their job is to be busy in the back cranking out the crowns, earning the money, you know, doing great things for patients. That That's what we're supposed to do. Sitting at the front desk, listening and observing and actually answering the phones and putting entering things in the schedule and worrying about insurance. It's not something most dentists have hands-on experience doing. So you're doing it. What are some lessons you've learned for being a dentist, knowing any day now, as soon as you get that thing in the mail or the email or whatever, you're going to be in the back as a dentist. But right now you're at the front desk you're probably learning and seeing and observing some amazing things. Yeah, it's it has been such an incredible experience seeing this side of the dental practice. And it, it certainly puts into perspective everything that you teach and, and you, you make these calls and, and people don't realize that what happens at the front, what happens on these phones is the difference that to me makes the difference, especially too in, in the COVID era. So, so I, I came up with three and um, the, the first that immediately comes to mind that I think I never would have realized is it's not easy to do what the front desk does. It's not hard to answer a phone call. It's not hard to take the COVID questions, do you have a cough, do you have a fever? It's not hard to tell a patient that's sitting in their car to come on in. It's not hard to take a treatment plan and present it to a patient. But oftentimes you have to do that all at one time. And you know, I'm, I'm no dummy by any means, sometimes I am. But you know, when you're doing all these things, sometimes 
you forget. You know, you have to make these important phone calls. You have to do what the doctor tells you that needs to be done immediately. We need to call this prescription and now. And then you forget you told Mrs. Smith that you'd let her know when to come in from her car. And then the hygienist walks up to you and says, is Miss Smith here? And you're like, oh, oh no. Right. <laughs> and it's not because I forgot. I mean, I, technically I did. But you are so overwhelmed. So the empathy that I will have for the front desk going forward is forever going to be invaluable because you learn that it's, it's not easy. Uh, the second thing that comes to mind is you cannot clone yourself to do what you want to do. I have a certain way of, of schmoozing and talking to patients on the phone. I try to add humor. I try to be empathetic. I try to listen to their complaints. And of course, too, I'm a dentist. If you say you have tooth pain, I can sit there and I can really try to see what needs to be done and then convey that to the dentist instead of just immediately putting them on the schedule as an emergency. And these are things that, you know, it's easy enough to let the front desk know, like, try to learn a little bit more, try to, you know, break down what is going on. And as a future practice owner that I, I would like to think I am, it's going to be important for me to need metrics for these for the front desk, just to see how we're doing, how you're able to convince people to come in, how you're doing with new patients. And as the old adage goes, what gets tracked gets measured, what gets measured can be improved upon. And a lot of times I think people leave the front desk up to chance and in the code era, nothing should be left up to chance. Uh, number three that I think about often in light of a potential second wave is make sure what's going on at the front desk is, is replicable. I feel a lot of times that what is happening at the front desk is not in the software that you may be using in your practice, but rather inside, you know, the cranium of one of the people in the front desk. And you just don't know what's going forward. Maybe the virus gets worse. Maybe, God forbid, someone in their family gets sick. Maybe they get sick. And if that person doesn't want to come back into the office, but everything is housed in their brain, you know, the whole operation may drastically fall apart. So I do think it's important that it is replicable, it is consistent, and it's done in a way that makes sense for anyone down the road. Because you're right, the, the dentist doesn't have time to really focus on this. But can you really afford to not put focus into this? So, so many things that I'm learning, and, and I haven't even went down the road of my my way of handling patients that call up wanting to cancel their appointments. And that may be the most important thing for a, a front desk right now. So the yeah. front desk is cool and, and people really need to uh, realize that. Yeah, you made some incredibly great points, Ben. Um, one being, and this is especially in some of the smaller practices, and we work with some practices that, you know, typically in smaller towns, but also sometimes in big cities, one dentist, one assistant, one hygienist, one front desk. And you can have a really successful practice in that model, but if that front desk person leaves or gets sick, the whole place could collapse. So I, what you said is so true that these things need to be reproducible. They need to be systems. They need to be taught. And there's nothing wrong with um, 
your clinical team knowing a little bit more about the front desk. But I think the most important statement you made in this whole question is two words. The very first two words you said, it's hard. And it really is. And I think, you know, as dentists, we tend to think, well, we're the most educated. We're the ones that are doing these intricate procedures that take skill and, you know, talent and judgment and all these things. We're the kings and queens of the road here, but we're not the only ones that have tough jobs in the dental office. It's a pressure cooker at the front desk. Yeah, it's it's really, really tough. And, you know, there's times where you continuously need to be on your A game. You'll get a call and it's a new patient and you really got to put on that that smile and lay on how awesome the practice is. But there's a lot of times you get that new patient call when you have four things floating in your short-term memory. You're checking someone out. The doc needs you to go get the hygienist. The hygienist needs you to go get something else. And the patient from the back and the patient's like, hey, are you are you accepting new patients? <laughs> You're just like, I don't like I can crush this call, but not right now. And, you know, it's it, it's tough. And I I sit there and you know, I tell the the other, I say the other ladies at the front desk with me, <laughs> you know, I tell them that, like, this is something that I will fully remember for the rest of my life because you do see that everyone in the office, whether they mean to or not, they may just kind of look down at the front desk, like, how hard can it be? And I'm telling you, I just went through dental school and there's some days that it's much harder doing all of these things simultaneously than it ever was doing a filling or a crown prep in dental school. So it's an, it's an important lesson and, I, and I'm, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity. Now, if that patient that called saying, how much do you charge for a cleaning and do you take my lousy insurance only knew they were talking to not only somebody with a DDS degree, but with a master's in molecular biology. I mean, they, you know, they might not be giving you so hard of a time here. But um. uh, they, they, I mean, trust me, there's been there's been times that I answer the phone and they'll be like, why is a male answering the phone? It's 2020, lady. We can do everything. Males, females, it doesn't matter. That's a really interesting comment. Do you feel that people still are taken aback when a, a male voice answers the phone at a dental office? It hasn't been something that has been incredibly obvious. Um, sometimes, though, patients will will make a comment and be like, "What? What are you, what are you doing here?" Or they'll <laughs> I'll be like answering a bunch of their questions. They'll be like, "How do you know all of this <laughs> at the front desk?" Who and, are you? Yeah, yeah. So, so interesting, interesting stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, this has been incredible. We're going to do a couple real quick secret shopper calls. But before we do, um, you mentioned kind of briefly how you deal with cancellations. And, um, you know, I think anybody listening to this podcast knows already, they can tell that you're, you're a good person. You're a people person, as they say. You're a good schmoozer. You're fun to talk with. Um, not everybody that works at the front desk has that kind of personality, but also, as you said, you don't always have time to do that. Sometimes you're, you're juggling 50 million different things. Um, do you have a little special technique or way that you handle a cancellation call? Yeah. And, and I, and I've heard, you know, both your, uh, secret shopper calls and also too, I've been secret shoppered myself. Um, I've listened to how certain marketing firms recommend that people answer these calls and 
it's it's funny. My, my dog is going crazy outside. Oh, that's okay. It's you know, look, everybody's working from home these days. Yeah, but but the the one thing that I would recommend for anyone listening to this, and it's the it's something that I figured out maybe a month or two into taking these calls, is when someone says that they want to cancel and everyone has their own strategies, but there's one thing that you can instantly add into every time you talk to someone and it makes your job a thousand times easier. And all that is, is when they say, what are you doing? Or I want to cancel instead of it being immediately combative, like they want to cancel. I want you to come in. Let's, argue and debate and try to see whose ideas win. I found that by instantaneously saying, you know what, thank you so much for asking this question and taking the time to, to care about this. I wish more people in the country cared about this and took the precautions that you did, because if that were the case, we would be in a much better place. So you're talking about a COVID cancellation now. So a COVID cancellation. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Sorry, sorry for the confusion. That's okay. Uh, um, and once you kind of set the, the ground floor there that we are on the same page, I agree that you should be taking these precautions. Here is why I think those are unfounded and that you should be interested and willing to come in. It has drastically increased my success rate of getting patients to come in. So uh, anyone, if you are listening to your front desk and they are not throwing that in there, or they're not as confident with getting patients to come in, or they're not coming in as much as you would like to, have them give that a shot. And I'm confident that you'll start to see some better results than you currently do. Yeah, fantastic tip. And kind of something that, you know, I've been saying for decades, way before COVID, obviously, is, you know, never argue with a patient. If a patient comes in and says, you know, yeah, my grandpappy had three sets of teeth, you know, what good does it do to say, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am, uh, that's uh, biologically and anatomically impossible. Just say, oh, that's, that's hilarious. That's one for the books, whatever. Don't argue with the patient. You know, it's just, it, you never get anywhere. Great stuff, Ben. All right, let's, let's do a few secret shopper calls. What do you say? Um, I just did a pretty simple one for this week, which is how much is a crown? So I'll do, we'll do two quick ones in a row. Then maybe we'll do a third one. But let me go over to Command Central here. And I, I'm hoping you can hear this, Ben. Um, again, both these fir the first two calls are both really fast. So let's do it. How much is a crown? This is Kathy speaking. Hey, how much does a crown cost? Uh, 1150 Okay, that's w without insurance, right? Correct. Yeah, okay, excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, All right, let's do a second one. Also, quickie. Hey, yeah, how much does a crown cost? A crown costs a thousand three. One zero zero three? Yes. Why not just a thousand? What's with the three? I, d I just, that's our price. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much. That's our price. <laughs> oh, man. If anything, I'm upset that you didn't dive deeper. Tell me more about the three. <laughs> right, right. What, that up. what type of mathematical equation was used to determine that it's going to be 1,003 and 38 cents? <laughs> as ridiculous as that is, right? So I think one of the things you have to start talking about with these calls is 
why is a patient calling to ask how much a crown is, you know? Yeah, on on these ones, and 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 I would actually, for both of those, be very curious to see your thoughts on there. I mean, I know if if I got those calls, instead of immediately diving into what the price is, I would say, well, you know, it's it's important to note that a lot of times it doesn't necessarily need a crown. I don't talk about options either for fillings or onlays or the importance of coming in to deduce what exactly is going on as opposed to saying the exact price but also too if once they eventually get the price out for you and i don't know if you recommend getting the price on the phone uh my goal is to then just try to get them to come in for an appointment but otherwise i i can't say i have strong opinions about calls like this well and not every office does this but at your practice um would you do a free consult or a free look-see or whatever you want to call that with a patient? Yes. Yes. That, that is built into our entire philosophy that patients call up, we, we will bring them in and then uh, go from there. I don't know if other people offer that, but at the same time, you know, we, we do still, at least no one has told me not to say the pricing on the phone. So yeah, um, well, for, get it out of me on that one. I'm a big believer in the free consult or the look-see or the quick look, whatever you want to call it. So I think you, you've got an opportunity there to say, well, um, you know, the fees can vary depending on the situation. I'll tell you what, why don't you come in? Dr. Ben will take a look. Absolutely no charge. You'll get to meet him. We'll see if we even feel this tooth needs a crown and then we'll take it from there. I mean, I just don't see how you can go wrong doing this. We can see you actually this afternoon at 3 p.m. How's that sound? Get them in. Once they meet Dr. Ben, they're going to know if this is the practice for them or not. Hopefully it will be. And you'll get to say, um, you know what? This tooth may not even need a crown. Maybe we can do this. Or, or you might have to say, um, this tooth needs more than a crown, which all those things are missing if you just quote them a fee over the phone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's just it's just crazy. Both of these people, all they did was give a fee, and then they hung up. They never even made an attempt to get the patient in. So you've got to think, why is a patient calling a dental practice asking what the fee for a crown is? Is it because they've got some kind of weird fetish, and the next thing they're going to do is call a plumber and say, how much does it cost to unstop a toilet? I don't think that's why they're calling. They're calling because weird fetishes out there. So there, there are some weird ones, but why why a crown fee fetish? I just don't see how anybody would, would be into that. This patient's calling because they know or they think they need a crown. So how can you just hang up on them like that? It's unbelievable. Yeah, we, we need we need higher conversion rates out of my fellow front desk people. Um, Absolutely. Um, I think I've got one more call lined up. I'm pretty sure it's the same question. I don't even remember. Let's just play it and see what happens. I think it might be pretty similar. So we might not have a lot of commentary, but let's let this one rock. This is Ricky. Oh, yeah. Hello. How much is a crown there? With or without insurance? Oh, without insurance. Um, it, it ranges between twelve and 1400 Great. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank uh, you. Okay, bye. All right, same idea. She was really nice. I thought she was nicer than the other two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which of the three are you going to? I'd, I'd say none. Zero out of three. I, and they, they, you know, 
they didn't offer an appointment. That's really what it comes down to. And that seems to be the conclusion of just about every mystery shopper call that we do is no matter how great you are, no matter how friendly or unfriendly, you got to offer the appointment. That's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. What's been interesting is just from listening to your podcast and, you know, always being on the edge that, you know, one of the Maddow brothers could be coming at me one day is <laughs> a, lot times, a lot of times, you know, you get these calls and you try to get the appointment and then it's like, they're like, no, like, can I get a name? Like, can I like call you back? And they're like, no. <laughs> and it's just, you know. Wow. So you think you've been secret shopped? I mean, you know, that's what's so funny is because our marketing company does do secret shopper calls and it, you are almost always on edge thinking that it's a secret shopper call. So sometimes patients will give me a name and say, hey, I'll call you back. And then I'll write the name, I'll write the number down and I'll make a note. Like, I think that was a secret shopper call and look to call them either later in the day or the next day. And then the phone doesn't work anymore. Uh. <laughs> That was a secret shopper call. Yeah. The number one clue is if the name of the patient is Pierre Scheithied, you know it was a secret <laughs> shopper call <laughs> without question. That'll be the day. I look forward. I look forward to the day that uh, Pierre gives me a call. <laughs> well, Ben, this has been really fun. Um, thanks so much for adding your perspective on two things, what it's like to be kind of in the first COVID class and also what you can learn as a dentist sitting at the front desk. I mean, could almost recommend that every dentist you're, you're kind of like undercover boss right <laughs> maybe yeah, every dentist should do this future future practice owner ben would fire front desk ben so, <laughs> yeah. so, so we'll see but it's 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 been critical to to learn what other jobs do and you know, as a future practice owner, that's the goal. You know, you want to know what your lab goes through. You want to know what your hygienists go through. And uh, the more holistic perspective you have of the practice, the better leader you can be, the better you can bring your team together. And it's it's been awesome. I, I won't forget these experiences at all. And I just hope for licensure soon. DC, <laughs> yeah. give me my license. What are they waiting for? There's, you know, meeting in a smoke-filled room somewhere. Well, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Ben, the only thing I hope didn't happen here is that uh, many future dentists contact you and say, damn you, Dr. Ben Sher, now I've got to work at the front desk for a month before they let me back in the clinical portion of the practice. But um, it really yeah. is a, it really is interesting. So um, thanks so much for being our guest today. Again, I'm Dr. Richard Maddow, co-host of the Dental Practice Fixers podcast. We had a really cool guest today, Ben Sher, DDS. Best of luck in what we hope is a long, healthy, and successful career in dentistry. And uh, remember, Fat Merchant, just go to matto.com slash save and see how you can save money every single month in your dental practice. Ben, thanks so much. It was really fun. Dr. Matto, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and an honor to be here. And I look forward to the future episodes you put out. Always, always learn something. Well, thanks. Well, hey, then go, go give us a five-star rating. And those of you who are listening, if you want to go on uh, your, your podcast service and give us a rating, we'd appreciate it as well. So thanks so much. Thank you.